0: Hallelujah. We'll turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter four. That's where we're gonna begin. We started a series a couple a few weeks ago called Gifts, and the reason that this was on my heart was because we are in the gift mode. Amen. Is everybody in the gift mode? I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to Christmas. I was in my bedroom the other night and telling the girls, "Y'all come here." We were finishing ordering Mama's Christmas presents, you know, and. Getting them show. I don't know about y'all, but I like to order my stuff sometimes online, less stressful, better discounts. But, but we were I, I, this season of gifts is always good, and, and I'm always leery of, now forgive me, I'm not trying to step on your toes, so if this is you, just take it with a grain of salt, okay? I'm always leery of people who just come against giving gifts. Y'all, Christmas is, all it's about is giving people gifts and just getting gifts. Yes! Amen! That is great. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus, I mean, God so loved the world that He what? He saved? No, God so loved the world that He what? That He kept? No, He gave. This is a season when if there was any excuse for you to give a gift and maybe overspend a little bit, this would be the season to get away with it. I don't mean swiping your credit cards. Hold on. Don't look at me like that. I don't mean going over and above what you can do. I mean over and above what your what your natural man may tell you to do. I mean, you know, we got to believe God to give too. Uh, I, I, we've got to believe God to give too. We always believe God to receive. What about believing God to give? It says He that gives us the power to get wealth. It's... Uh, I think in Philippians, he said that, that he gives seed to the sower. You know, are you a sower? Anyway. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 4. So that's where we had Ephesians chapter 4. So what we, what we, what we um, based this on, this uh, series on, was gifts. And what we found out was there's that Jesus that, that God gave gifts, Romans chapter 12. We found out that the Holy Spirit gives gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And today we're going to learn that Jesus gave gifts. And I know that traditionally the Christmas message is for unto us a child is born and Jesus came. and That's good, but I felt like the heart of the Lord was to say, Now, I'm going to show you what I gave you for Christmas. Are you ready? Ephesians chapter 4. Now he starts out in the very beginning of the chapter... (coughs) Talking about unity. He says, "Therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. He's talking to the Ephesian church with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another. That means putting up. Come on, somebody say, I got to put up with my brothers and sisters sometime. Endeavoring. See, that never stops. Endeavoring to keep the unity. In the spirit, of the spirit, in the bond of peace, that's never going to be, you're never going to quit that. There's always going to be an endeavoring. There's always going to be an activity on your part and my part to keep the unity. Why? Because the enemy wants, he is the accuser of the brethren. All he wants to do is accuse. That's not my message this morning, but there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called by one hope and your calling, and the Lord... (coughs) One faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all, who is above all and through all, and in you all. Somebody say all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of what? Christ's gift. I'm thinking to give you a present this morning. And I'm going to talk on the five-fold ministry. I'm going to talk on the five ministry gifts that Jesus, the head of the church, mind you, gave The church. Everybody say, He gave these gifts for me and for us. It says, therefore, He says, when He ascended on high, He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now I want you to remember that, ascended. I'll come back to that. Now this, He ascended, what does it mean but that He also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that He might feel all things. And He Himself, somebody say Himself. Not my church. Not an organization. Not the internet. Not my grandma. Not my grandpa. Not my pastor. He Himself gave some To be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure and of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be carried away, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of men, by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and the cunning craftness of deceitful plotting. But, everybody say this together. Next verse, you ready? We there yet? But, ready? Speaking the truth in love, may what? Grow up into all things, which is the head, even Christ. The... the the five-fold ministry, Jesus gave us basically five gifts. He gave us, the church, five gifts. And in each one of those gifts, you're going to find out that there's a touch of Jesus in each one of them. And He gave us these gifts for our equipping, which means the perfecting, which means that He saw that in order for us to accomplish Everything that we have got to do individually and corporately, He gave us gifts that would properly be able to equip us and help us move along the path of total world domination. He said, my kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is His will. His will is for us to be about kingdom business. And in order to do that, he's given us these these gifts that are wonderful. Now, I'm going to talk about all five of them, but I'm going to spend the majority of my time talking about the the two ones that are really greatly misunderstood and really underutilized. The apostle, come on somebody, and the prophet. Because most traditional churches are... Engaged and even Pentecostal churches, even even charismatic churches, a lot of them are engaged in those three. They're engaged in the uh, pastor. They're engaged in the evangelistic, the pastoral, and the teacher. See, it, 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 let me put it to you this way: Think of your hand, and the index finger is the one that points. That's the prophet. See, the prophet always points to something, points to a direction, points to a word. The middle finger. Is the longest of the fingers because it reaches out to the world. It reaches out to people. It has a message to proclaim and it reaches out. To the world, the ring finger is the one that the, that is married to the church. The pastor, he's married to the church, loves the church, gives his life for the church. Jesus said himself that he he said, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Jesus had a compassion. He was married to the church. He gave his life for the church. He compared the bride of a groom to the church and Jesus. That's how much he loves us. He married us. And then the end, the, the pinky finger is the littlest one of all because it's the one that gets in our ears and cleans all that mess out and gives us that we hear the word in clarity. And the thumb is the apostolic, the apostle. He's the one that, that touches all the other gifts. See, your thumb, you, life would be kind of difficult without your, without your thumb. Life would be difficult without any of these fingers. They're all so valuable. And this is what happens. See, as a church, as the church in America, when you leave out the apostle and the prophet, you're trying to do everything that you normally do with three fingers. And you can't. It was never His intent. And so when Jesus ascended, He gave gifts To men, When, like Cornell said in Philippians, when Jesus obeyed and became so obedient, laid down His deity and became obedient to the death of the cross, He was rewarded with the highest honor and He is now seated right back in the right hand of God. And when He was taken up, when He was going to His place of authority and receiving that authority back, what did He do? He said... I'm going to give you some gifts, and I'm going to give you that. So what you'll see is that all five gifts not only have a touch of Jesus, but they come with their own individual distinct level of Jesus' authority. There's an authority that comes along with these gifts. The world, religion, Satan will try to get you to discredit these gifts because they're not that big a deal. Oh no, it is a huge deal. Let me tell you how huge of a deal it is. It is so huge that there is a new movement that some have been coined by certain religious leaders in our our circles called the uh, Apostolic Reformation Movement. It's an it's a apostolic reformation. What the word reformation means, just a change. It means a shift. There is an apostolic shift that has taken place in the church. And most churches, a lot of churches, are beginning to be drawn to this fivefold ministry gift where you're governed, the governance of your church, the governance of the people are given by those five gifts and you allow the Holy Spirit to minister through those five gifts. We function that way in this church. And this is such a huge movement that it has even gotten in the political scene. And you saw it eight years ago, but it wasn't like it is now. The, the, the New York Times printed an article, I mean not the New York but then the NPR, National Public Radio, printed an article where some of the New York Times and some of these other major circulars in the world are coming against, and they're trying to label some of the candidates, and they're labeling this movement as a cult. It's not a cult. It's exactly what Jesus intended. Well, that's all where the apostle and the prophet was done away with after Jesus went to heaven. That's not anywhere in Scripture. The closest you can come is 1 Corinthians. We already talked about that. Where there is knowledge, it will cease. Where there is uh, insight, that will go away. And where there is tongues, they will cease. That's not truth. That's not reality. And that's not biblical. And What we see is this incredible explosion within the body of Christ of coming away from the traditional mindset. Listen to me. This is the most powerful revolutionary change in the way we do church since the Protestant Reformation. Since Martin Luther nailed the thesis up on them chapel doors, this is the day and hour in which we live where it has begun to shift. People are no longer uh, satisfied with church as usual because we've created now a normal that is, not, that is contrary to the Word of God. And what we're seeing is a reformation, a movement, where churches are now coming back to the apostolic vision that Jesus had when He ascended and said, I'm giving you the plan. If, if we're going to see revival under the sec- and, and, and see the second coming of Jesus, then, then guys, we've got to embrace this as, as a church, as a body, not just locally, but globally. And what's funny is the largest segment, listen to me, the largest segment of growing churches, religions, next to, in, in lieu of the Roman Catholic Church, is the apostolic reformation. There are more people being born again than there are being born. Come on now. There are more people being born. It is the fastest growing. It is faster than Islam. Somebody said, well, you know, it's a bad time to be a Christian. Glory to God. No, it ain't. It's the best time. We've got momentum. We're gaining ground. Why? Because you can't, you can't sell counterfeit when the real thing is right in front of you. I saw a, uh, a Shelby Cobra the other day. You know, the, the, the authentic, you know, a Shelby Cobra, uh, an original Shelby Cobra uh, is worth millions of dollars. But you can get these kit cars for a couple of you know, $50,000, $60,000. I don't want no kit car. I want the real deal. I don't know about you. I want the real. People are tired of kit Christianity. People are tired of kit churches. The world is tired of it. They're flocking to churches. They're flocking to people because they have the answer because it's apostolic. You have the all five ministry gifts flowing in the same, in the same arena. Why don't we? Well, because... There is some that have come against it. And in the old days, they came against it, especially Pentecostals and and some Charismatics came against when tongues and the gifts were in operation 20, 30 years ago. They came against some denominationalism with strong judgment. And now what you're seeing is a reverse. There's a lot of Charismatic Pentecostal churches that are steering clear of the apostolic and the prophetic. No, they prophesy, but they don't believe in the New Testament prophet. They don't believe in the New Testament apostle. And what happens is, so often of the time, church history has proven that when you take a dogmatic stance against someone in judgment, that it's only a matter of time that eventually that judgment will show up in your ministry. That's why Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you have love one for another. This doesn't... This doesn't mean that what we're doing and what somebody else doing is the latest and greatest and it's better than everybody else. That's what we're talking. He's trying to get his body together. Every time I read the word, I read two, there's two things that I keep hearing over and over again. When I read Revelation, when I read first and second, Samuel, it don't matter. When I read the Bible, there's two words that keep popping up, relationship and unity. Relationship and unity. Relationship and unity. We're a family. We're supposed to walk in unity. My girls were fighting yesterday like cats and dogs. I had to threaten them with an inch of their life. I said, bless God, you ain't going to fight no more. I'm going to spank you till you just can't do it no more. I mean, I got so irritated. And the Lord said to me, the Holy Spirit, very sensitive, just said to me, he said, they're sisters. They're going to fight. They're going to have arguments. They're going to have friction. And I thought, bless God, not in this house they're not. And somebody said, well, did you fight like that? You, no, I didn't fight like that because I was five years older than my brother. He did what I told him to do. There was no fighting. You know? But we're family. We walk in unity. That unity doesn't mean that you're never going to have friction. It doesn't mean that. And that's why he gave us the five gifts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now. When you see each of these five gifts that we're fixing to get, that we're going to get started on, you'll see not only uh, a measure of authority, but you'll see, in a, measure, you'll see a measure of Jesus' anointing upon him. And I was thinking about this morning. I said, come on, Lord, you got to help me out here. Jesus was all five. He operated in all five. He operated as a pastor. When he operated as a pastor, he looked at Peter and he said, Peter, feed my sheep. He had such a care for the sheep and such a love for the sheep that he turned to Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. It's a pastor. He was an evangelist. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to preach the gospel. See, we think of evangelists as preaching Jesus and Him crucified and the only way to heaven. And you got to turn or you're going to burn, you got to get right, or you're going to get left. You got to get saved or you're going to die, get run over by a bus. That's not all that evangelism is. The word evangelist is simply mean to proclaim the good news. And I was thinking about this morning. What is the good news? Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The first thing he said, the first message that an evangelist ever preached was Jesus himself, and it was to poor people. He said, you don't have to be broke no more. That's good news. I don't know about you. Come on now. He said, to set them that are captive, to set them liberty, to set them free. He preached freedom. That's an evangelist. He was also a teacher. How many times would he pull the people aside and he said, the kingdom of God is likened unto a man that goes out and he sows seed. And some fell on thorny and some fell on stony and some fell on good. Ground. And the people are going, what? And they're taking notes. And you could tell that he was teaching because at the end of the message, the disciples go, "Look, look okay, hang on just a second. Because he said, let him who have ears to hear, let him follow. And so the teacher would walk away and they'd go, Lord, we don't. what are you talking about? And he, what would he do? He would teach. Okay, the stony ground is like him who hears the word and receives it with gladness. But because he has no root, immediately it dies and it bears no fruit. And him that was on shallow ground, he goes on. And the disciples, like light bulbs coming on, they're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. He was a teacher. Jesus was a prophet. This morning I was ironing. I mean, the Lord just gave me all five examples. He was a prophet. He said, The time is coming when the Son of Man won't be with you much longer. See, a prophet declares things in the future. I'm getting so far out of my notes, it's not even funny. The prophet will see things from afar off like they're right here. See, a prophet is like binoculars. A prophet, you ever had a good, we, where, uh, when we went to the beaches last, some friends of ours, they had these binoculars. Them mugs were that long. But I could, you could sit there, you had to hold it steady because it's so far away and you could see so close, the slightest movement and you know, it would be like 50 yards gone, you know, so you had to be real careful. But you could almost see, you could see the gray in people's hair from 300 yards away with these binoculars. I mean, they were huge. It was like, you know, it was like, here, come hold this binocular for me, you know. I mean, that's how, it was like big, long, you had to look, and the girls loved it. They would just zoom and watch people. You could see turtles from 400 yards away. The prophet sees that. And then he puts his binoculars down and he goes, why isn't it happening? Because it's 400 yards away. Can I get an amen? But Jesus was also an apostle. He also operated in the apostolic. He turned to Peter and he said, upon this rock I will build. See, apostles are builders. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church on this rock. Apostles are builders. I'm getting ahead of myself. See, pastors, let's go back to pastors. And all these gifts, that carry a measure of authority. Pastors, what are, what are pastors? Pastors are, they're shepherds. The oldest, history has proven, and in my study of studying shepherds, because I function as a pastor, okay? I'll get to that later. But I had to learn how to be, I'm having to learn how to be a pastor. Shepherds is one of the oldest living jobs that are around. They've been around forever. And a shepherd simply tends the sheep. A good shepherd doesn't feed the sheep. You know what a good shepherd does? He leads the sheep. To green pastures where they feed themselves. The only time a pastor, the only time a shepherd will feed a sheep is when they're sick or when they're hurt. What babies have we raised in the body of Christ? We? You know, we think we're supposed to be fed. No, the shepherd, a good shepherd, that's his staff, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. A shepherd doesn't beat his sheep. There's, a, there, there's an analogy I like to use. A shepherd, if a sheep keeps wandering off, the shepherd will break his legs. I thought, Lord, can we do that? <laughs> today? Can we break somebody? I mean, you, you said it in your word. Can we just whack? but that's because they're sick, that's because they're being led astray, that's because they're being and I can tell you that that times in the life of this church when things have come against us as a body, I can tell you that all of us elders rise up, there's an indignation within us that we have to temper one another because somebody, you know when David would get mad, what would happen? You know, he'd rip off his clothes and throw ashes in the air and like I've said before, somebody's going to die that day you know what I'm saying, because he'd get mad and as elders we get together and it's been like that from time to time we get so angry, a righteous indignation towards the enemy because he's coming against you, his people, his preciousness. A pastor is, uh, a pastor is someone who empowers the people. See, well-fed sheep are empowered. They're, they're led to pastures where they can feed and, 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 and nourish themselves and they're empowered. They're, they're full of all the things and the nutrients that they need to fulfill and to grow the wool that is out there, that God has intended. See, when we function in this capacity, you'll see the life that God has intended for the church. Um, there's, there's a certain anointing. Let me say it this way. There's an anointing that comes along. You know, the, the word anointing means it means to smear. It's smeared on, rubbed on. That's what they, they would anoint in the Old Testament. They would pour the oil and it would, it would anoint. There's an anointing on people. There's an anointing as a pastor. And that anointing, what is, the, what, is the, what is the design of the anointing? Jesus said the anointing would what? Remove the burdens and destroy the yokes. The pastor has the anointing upon him To remove the burdens of isolationism. To break the bondages of independence. Okay, let me say it this way. When you you walk up to a pastor and a pastor goes, How you doing? And the the pastor is flowing in that anointing and that, that anointing is on him in a strong way, it'll cause you to go, You'll share everything that's good and you'll share everything that's bad. You'll be like, my, I mean, I'm happy and excited because I just got a raise, but my car broke, my wife's mad at me, my kids. I mean, the pastor just, it's like, okay, all right, slow down. Let's come over here and let's sit down. You know, uh, there's, there's an anointing that comes. You just want to share your heart. Some of the greatest pastors in my life, they'll call and say, how you doing? And I'll go, man, that's a loaded question. You sure you want to know? Because you just, I mean, you're just, you just want to. Whereas the teacher's anointing, if the teacher, you know someone's teacher comes up and says, How are you doing? You go, Fine. You don't say what you say. You say, Fine. Why? Because you don't want to be taught anything. You don't want somebody to sit down and show you the three reasons why you're feeling the way. You don't want that. You want a pastor to come love on you. Heaven forbid the prophet walk in and go, How are you doing? You go, Why? You know what I'm saying? When you're in that mode, you sense the anointing. I know you're looking, you're looking at me like you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. When you're going through something, you don't come over in this area. You don't come over in this area because you don't want Inez to go, mm, I was praying last night and the Lord said. You don't want Langston said, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. You don't want that because, you're, because it's the enemy trying to distract But what is that gift for? What are these five gifts for? For the equipping of the saints. A pastor, you can see a tangible difference because there's, there's a shift in the gifts. Uh, there's, a shi- there's something that happens when, when the, the pastoral anointing comes on. I've seen it in my own life. I remember, I remember being in Bible college and saying, I won't ever pastor. I wanted to travel. I didn't understand apostolic. I'm going to get to that one later. I didn't understand apostolic ministry. <clears throat> I just thought apostle was the apostle Paul. I thought you moved around all over the place and started churches and then you went and started another one. Then you went that's not what an apostle is. That's a part of it, but I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But I remember, as a, I remember as, a, as a Bible student, I remember saying, I don't want to be a pastor. I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm going to be an evangelist. I'm going to travel around and preach of God. I graduated with an evangelistic degree. <laughs> but I remember the night where that pastoral gift or a part of that gift was deposited in me, I was at Cheddars. We had Cheddars in Tulsa. And I remember coming out of there and I remember looking at, I can't even remember who it was. I think it was my mom. It might have been my, one of my roommates. And I said, I think, because Brother Hagin would teach us, you know, that these gifts, these anointings, you can recognize when they come on you. And I said, I believe the Lord just said that I would pastor one day. That was it. Fast forward 12 years later. See, there's a, there's a gift. And the worst thing is for you to be trying to operate outside of your gift. Now, not everybody in this room is called to the fivefold ministry. He said some. Not everybody. But as I talk about these gifts, you feel something begin to stir up on you. Pay attention to it. I remember somebody said to me, how do you know? I remember uh, Pastor Hagen said, this was Brother Hagen's son who passed the church, how do you know you're called to ministry? And he said, well, if you can see yourself doing anything other than ministry, you're probably not called. And I didn't hear anything else the rest of that class session. I sat there and I said, okay, well, I could be a fighter pilot. That sounds cool. I could that. I was like, I no, That'd be cool for a little while. And then you get tired of having to, you know, I just want to get in the jet and fly. I don't want to do all that other stuff for three hours. I could be, you know, and I started going down the list. And there was nothing that I could find that would satisfy me, like ministry. I didn't even know, at that time, I didn't even know what it looked like. I didn't care if I was a children's minister, pastor's minister. I didn't care. I just knew that there was one of these gifts, or some of these gifts were in me, and I didn't know, but I could see myself doing nothing else and was never satisfied, never. I don't mean in 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 an unhealthy satisfaction. There's a godly discontentment. That rises up in us. When you're not functioning in what God's called you to do, maybe you need to check out. Maybe that's why you're discontent, because you're not being obedient, or you're not stepping into what He's called you, or you've become gnawed and dull in the ways of life. Listen to me. The time is now for you to step into what God has called you to do. I'm, 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 let me. Shoo. Teacher. A teacher is one who helps people understand God's truth. They want to see truth so bad that they see truth in everything. They can teach you about that green chair. There's a level of that that I I have operated in. I can teach you about this green chair. And I can show you and teach you how to put that chair together. I mean, there's just, the teacher just, you just see things. How do you know a teacher, how do you know someone's got a teaching gift? Because they're always making notes. They've always got something written down. They've always got a three part, four part, six part plan to get to something. They're very analytical. I've got a lot of that, but I've waned a lot from that. I'm, you know, we moved my office from that room, turned it into the nursery, to this other office, which is a little smaller. Well, I got my big, I got a huge chalkboard that I got from someone who gave it to me that came from an old schoolhouse. I love the chalkboard. Ask anybody that's been in my office, at any given time, that chalkboard is slammed full of stuff. Why? I'm, because it's a teacher. You just want to write things out and write it down. That's a teacher. A teacher can expound on the Word of God in such ways that it makes you want to take notes. How do you know someone's operating in the teaching gift? Because you, you're looking for a pen, because the, the revelation that's coming out of the teaching gift, you want that revelation. You've never seen it before. A teacher will expose and enlighten truth to us. That's the teaching gift. What about the evangelist? The evangelist is to cause people to make decisions. They want to stir you to action. The evangelist, they're not, trying to, they're not trying to get you involved in the community. They're not really concerned about that. They want to get you involved right now, today. You need to make a decision today. You need to move into your destiny today. And an evangelist has the ability to stir up things in you that you didn't even know was there. An evangelist is, uh, is not trying to get you involved in things. They're wanting you to respond to the message. See, the evangelist has a message. It's good news. The good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is just not, you know, if you get Jesus and you make Him Lord of your life, you'll go to heaven. No, the evangelist is good news. You don't have to be broke no more. First message I preached when I graduated was at Thaddeus' church. And it was out of Proverbs 3. He said, if you bind mercy and truth around your neck, you will find favor in the sight of God. Amen. And the evangelist will tell you that favor will follow you. You don't have to make it happen. God loves you so much where doors were just going to automatically open because of the favor on your life. Not because of what you've done or because of what you haven't done, but because of what He has done for you, in you, and through you, and them doors will open. You see what I'm talking about? There's a level of of stirring, there's a level of excitement that the evangelist carries. You have a destiny, God has a plan, and you have a purpose. The evangelist wants to tell you and enlighten you about those things. It's not just, it's not just about getting people. See, if you think of salvation, and that's the only thing you think of when you think about people being born again, you're missing. Half the boat. It's not just about giving your life and receiving everlasting life. It's about coming under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. See, that's kingdom. The kingdom message. Peter said, there's one I'm preaching, but there's one that's coming after me. John the Baptist said, there's one coming after me that is preaching anew. And every time Jesus would preach, Jesus never preached. You need to get saved. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He said there's another way of living your life instead of the lordship of Augustus Caesar, instead of the lordship of money, instead of the lordship of women, instead of the lordship of independence, instead of the lordship of the women's movement, instead of the lordship of whatever you want to fill in the blank, drugs, alcohol, whatever, bring yourself into the lordship of Jesus Christ and all these things will be Made unto you. See, that's what the evangelist, that's what the message is. It's not just get saved. It's why don't you come and, and live your life in alignment with the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Come on, somebody. And now watch the blessings come in your life as a result. Now, those are the three that we're familiar with. Those are the three that have been talked about for generations and operating in. Now I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to talk about the prophet and the apostle. Hallelujah! Lord, you're going to have to help me on this one. Are y'all believing with me? There's things in me that I want to get out, that I need to get out. But I need you to believe with me because I got far too many notes. And not enough time. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. These are the two that are considered foundational. Now let me ask you something. If you was going to get in somebody's grits and you going to mess them up. If you're going to ruin somebody's house. If you're going to tear somebody's structure down. If you're going to try to demolish a building. How are you going to demolish that building? What's the most efficient? What's the most inexpensive? What's the cheapest way to bring down a building? Take his legs out. Your daddy, now some, all the women close their ears because I don't, I don't want mamas getting on to me. But when your daddy, if your daddy didn't teach, I'll teach you now. When your daddy said, son, if you go up against somebody and they're bigger and taller than you are, you know how to get them, don't you? I said, no, sir. He said, take them in the knees. It don't matter, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. What do you do? You take their foundation out from underneath them. You ever tripped? Anybody ever tripped? It's like you don't even, you don't even know what just happened. You trip and you're like, oh my God. You know, you're trying to catch yourself. That's the foundation. So if the enemy is going to come against the church, what's he going to come after? He's going to come after the foundation. He's going to attack the apostolic anointing and the prophetic anointing. Because without the apostolic anointing and the prophetic anointing, the pastor, the teacher, and the evangelist don't know where to go. And don't know what to build. Without the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher, all the apostle and all the prophetic is going to do is point and tell you where we're going and what we're going to build, but they don't have anybody to help them build. You need all five. Are you listening to me? The apostle and the prophet work together. The apostle and the prophet. What two fingers do you use most often? These two. There's a, there's, a, there's a tension. A husband and a wife. I like to equate it to this, a husband and a wife. You got my three girls, and you got me and you got April. There's a, there's a tension there. It's a healthy tension. This tension will enable us to grab a hold of something very strongly and very firmly and hold on to it. With my finger and my thumb, I can hold on to my girls' hands and they can't snatch away from me. I don't know if I can do that with y'all, but I can do that with him. I can hold on to their hand, their little hand or their little finger, and they cannot break loose. That's a very powerful tension. Husband and wife, prophets and apostles, they have that tension. But that same tension, I can reach down and pick up a butterfly by its. See, the, the apostle and the prophet work together to pick out the plan of God and lay it before everybody, and so that all five gifts are working together. The prophet sees something. They have, uh, it, it, it's, it's a foundational gift because it's one who speaks forth for God. They have the authority, they have certain authority with their words that we're not talking about prophesying, we're talking about the prophetic, we're talking about the prophet. There's an anointing that comes on the prophet. There's an authority that comes in with that anointing that you just go, good Lord Jesus, you just know. The, the, the prophetic anointing, the prophet's anointing will declare to you purpose, vision, and plans that will confirm things in your life. I do not believe, according to the Word of God, that any gift will supersede your relationship with Jesus Christ. But I do believe that the prophet will come along and snatch a knot in your behind if need be. Because you and I are, sometimes don't listen. Let me say it this way. In Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit was giving direction and the elders came together and they fasted and they were praying. And it said, the Spirit said, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called. That's the prophet speaking. That's the prophetic word coming forth. It's directional. A lot of times the prophetic word will be futuristic. It will tell you of some things to come. And in that sense, you don't necessarily know it, but there's a sense inside of you that you know because the Lord's been stirring some things up in you. You just see, you, we, see we see things through a dim glass. A, a prophet don't see that. A prophet sees it very clearly. Now he may not have or she may not have all the details, but they can see, they can see the writing on the wall. You don't even know there's a wall. You just see fuzz. They see a wall, and you know there's something out there, but a prophet can come and point out specific things. And there's things, there's been times where I've had things in my heart, she's had things in her heart, and nobody knew about it. And the prophet stands up and calls it out, and you, boy, you leave there energized. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the prophet just speaks, and you're just like, man, that's it. God has spoken. Because it confirms, a prophet's anointing will confirm specific, intimate details about your life and the life of your family and the life of your church for future generations to come. It's, it's amazing. But, like most folks, this is why the prophetic anointing, that's why Paul said, despise not, prophesy. Because prophecy profits people who flow in this anointing have a tendency to be off balance. And when I say off balance, what do I mean? They ain't like you. Peculiar. Strange. (laughs) The world doesn't get changed by only having balanced people you got to have some crazy folks in the mix. It just just is what it is. Some of the greatest inventions, some of the greatest inventors, some of the greatest leaders of our time and generations past, present, and soon-to-be future have been some of the most charismatic, some of the most crazy, off-balance, in your mind, people. But we need that. Listen, the world doesn't change by everybody being like you. The world doesn't change by everybody being like me. It changes by people functioning in their giftedness, coming together in unity. That's why they seem frustrated at times. Because they see things so far off and they come back to reality and they don't understand why it's not happening right now. I I can, ident- I can identify with every one of these gifts in some form or fashion. I can identify with that because I know what I've seen. I know what I've heard. I know what the Lord's put in us. But there's, a, there's sometimes a frustration that comes along because you don't see it right now and you don't understand why. You're not supposed to understand why. And it seems that every prophet that I know, that I've been in contact with, that legitimately operate in the gift of the prophet, have had to go through a time in their life of breaking, uh, shedding. Because of the, oh, how can I say it? Because of the nature and the, the charismatic personality of a prophet they have to go through sometimes in their life a period of shedding and breaking down, uh, a a, a period of great walking through things in their life because God is tempering them because of the gift that He's placed in them. There's nothing worse for the body of Christ than a prophet who's not submitted to someone in the apostolic. Would Would you agree? You would agree, wouldn't you? Nothing worse, nothing more dangerous than a prophet that has nobody that can help wring the reins in. And I don't mean from a control standpoint. I mean, I need her to ring. you know what I'm saying, I need her to rein me in sometimes. She needs me to rein. I'm not talking I, I mean, you know, Langston, Langston and I have had healthy tension and we've had unhealthy tension. I need his gift to help rein me. in. He needs me to. It's not a control. It's not a. It's it's simply. Let me say it this way. Who's in your life that can tell you no? If there ain't anybody in your life that can tell you no, I don't want to hear anything you got to say. Now that may be strong, and you may not agree with that. But the Bible set in order. God sets things in order. He sets things in places and there's proper structure. Paul said, let everything be done decently and in order. The Holy Spirit has a... The Holy Spirit's not like... That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a plan. You and I just don't know about it. And so he'll be walking through the service and he'll touch somebody and she'll get a word. And he'll walk over here and he'll just blow on Inez and she'll just start rattling off in tongues. And you're like, what in the world? And then he'll go... and he'll give him the word. Now, so as I was getting ready, this is what I felt like the Lord said for you. He said, I have taken you through a season of tempering. And you've not understood what or why. And you've even looked for other ways out. But I have been in this, and even now you are receiving the answer that you've looked for. Arise and step out in the fullness of what I've called you to do. Both of you will operate in this through my spirit, tongues, and interpretation. And you have seen this in manifestation but I am now turning up the heat in a greater way because the church, not just us, the church needs it, says the Lord. Your frustration lies within because you've not seen the full plan. For I say that's because you're not supposed to. You are to, cast the, you are to help cast the vision. You are to help see the vision. The teachers and pastors and evangelists will help get us there. So the time is now for you to step out. And move forward. Boy, I'm telling you, I ain't never had, I'm telling you, I've been doing this for years, and I ain't never, I'm sitting in my car and the Lord said, right, and I said, the time is now. Now! It's been recognized, it's been spoken, I'm activating it in you too, now, today. You will flow in the prophetic like never before because the body of Christ needs it, and because I hear the Spirit saying, because you are submitted even when you didn't want to, even when you didn't agree with it, you were submitted. And because of that, you have been endeared to the Lord's heart and He is going to turn the heat up and you're going to prophesy like never before because we need that gift. Amen. All right, I got that out of the way. Now let's move on. (laughs) So let's talk about the apostolic. I saved this one for last because I think for the majority of the time, for the most part, this has been the gift that has been most misunderstood in the body of Christ. Let me tell you what an apostle is. Simply, apostle is one who is sent forth. That's all it is. He's a sent one. He is sent by God to establish... Listen to this, glory to God. He is sent by God to establish a work. See, the prophet has the, has the message. The prophet has the, has, the, has, has the word. They see something. The apostle wants to build it and establish it. You see how those two work together? Uh, I can't tell you how many times we've been praying and we've been talking and we've been, we've been in, in together, all five of us, and it's like he'll see something and I'll go, Dang, that's exactly but I couldn't, you know, it's kind of like I see a car. But the prophet goes, I see a red car with a green stripe. And it's got, I mean, you know, they just, they just point out the details. There's times in our life <clears throat> as a marriage where she flows in the prophetic. And I don't, I don't see it as clearly as she does. But boy, she'll see it. I'm talking about down. She knows, you know, she's a cook. She loves to cook. She sees things down to the exact measurement. I mean, I just see a cake. You know, you gotta have some sugar, you gotta have some flour and some eggs. She's like, no, 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 honey, you ain't just got to have eggs. You got to have three eggs, and you got to have this much sugar, and you got to cook it for this long. I said, I ain't try- okay. Just put the cake. Let's get. We got to build. We got to. We got a banquet. We got to build something. Let's get it on. You know, that's the apostolic. The apostolic wants to see something built. The pastors wanting to run around and love on everybody, make sure everybody's all right. You okay? Are you all right? The pastor's wanting to do that. The evangelist is wanting to run into them, tell everybody now, today, now you got to eat today. We got to bake that cake today. And the teacher goes, now, if everybody who wants to bake a cake, if you sit down, we're going to go through a 45 minute dissertation on how to properly bake, make the cake. And then we're going to talk about how to serve it and store it. See, that's the teacher right? The prophetic is like, cake! I see a chocolate cake in the future. Bless God. I see many, many cakes. And we're all standing around going, we don't have anything to make a cake with. I don't care. I see a cake. Glory to God. And the apostle goes, alright, let's get everybody together. How are we going to make this cake? Come on, I got the plan. I see the plan. Alright, you so what's the cake look like? It's got chocolate okay. cake. Pastors, can you go get some chocolate icing? Evangelists, why don't you get some people around? Go get some other people. We need some help. Evangelists, go get us some help. And the pastor, the pastors running around making sure everybody. Are you okay? You got a thing you need? You got you got your apron on. Do you need some more flour? I'll go get you some flour. See, that's the pastor. The teachers walking around going, ah, you missed some right there. You got you got to put it all in. <laughs> and the evangelists go. The evangelists is just in and out. I mean. The evangelist is not even here. He shows up, and there's 15 cakes, and he's like, where'd they come from? I don't, and they're like, he's, and so the evangelist, this is where you get, this is where frustration gets. Can you you give me a little leeway? The frustration goes, the the evangelist, we try to get the evangelist to start baking a cake, and they're like, glory to God, this ain't going fast enough. I got to do something, and they get frustrated. And then we got the pastors out there trying to get more people to come in and help, and they're frustrated. And we got the apostles back in a back room somewhere because they think they're supposed to, we think they're supposed to, and we, we don't even have apostles. Ain't nobody know about an apostle. And then you got prophets. We're sticking prophets in the, in the room trying to bake a cake, and that's not what they're gifted for. And so now you got everybody frustrated, and we wonder why things aren't functioning the way they're supposed to be functioning. Then, and what I've seen in my life, what I've seen in ministry, is you get frustrated, and then you blame it on God. Or you blame it on the ministry ministry has torn my ministry God why'd you let this happen and the whole time you've been functioning in something other than your gift I don't know I've never I've never labeled myself I've never tried to label myself when I came here and these men w- begin to talk to me, and God begin to talk, and we begin to walk down this road, all I simply said, I don't know, if whatever, you say that's how it is, that's fine. All I know is I see things and I think a certain way, and I think for the most part I identify with all of these gifts because I see every little bit of it. I mean, I see I see it. But the frustration that you and I have to be careful is that we're not trying to function in one specific area that we're not called to. The body of Christ, listen to me, God's heart is for you okay, to be engaged in your giftedness. Maybe you're called to the ministry. What do you mean by called to the ministry? Just what I mean. If you got to explain it and think about it, you probably ain't called to the ministry. What do you, I mean? I mean you, you go to sleep and you wake up and it's right there every day. I knew I was called. I knew I had to do something. Morris, you know what I'm talking about. You just know. You know you got it. You just know you're called to the ministry. I'm not talking about bivocational. I could have started businesses a long time ago. I could have stayed in the housing business because that's going up, bless God. Houses are being built all over the place. I could have started, but I would never have been satisfied and fulfilled like I am now, even in the mess and even in the turmoil sometimes that we go through. I know, God, if this ain't for me, if this ain't with you, you'll move somebody where you need to move them. But I know, I know I'm doing what God's called me to do. I can't explain it. I can't articulate the necessarily the way that I feel. I know that that doesn't supersede my responsibility as a father, as a husband, to take care and shepherd my family. But my family, we all know, we're all, see all the Thomases at my house, we're all called to the ministry because it's a family. This woman serves you behind the scenes more than you will ever know. She don't just serve, I mean, she... You understand, she, she, This I'm talking about my helpmate. She helps me. The Lord looked down and said, the brother need help. So he gave me help. But this woman serves you in ways that you don't even know, that she don't get recognized for, she don't get accolades for. She had no idea I was going to say any of that this morning. I'm just letting you know that she serves you because we all, all my girls, they serve, they love you, but they don't just love you to love you. They love you because there's an anointing on our family. There's an anointing on your family. There's an anointing on your family. You want to know somebody who's got a shepherd's heart? These two men right here have the shepherd's heart. I mean, bless God, they something happened. They want to take care of somebody. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they open, they, they love you. We all, not, not that we don't love you, but you know what I'm saying? He's trying to call it out, and I'm trying to build it. That's what we get. Every joint supplies. This couple here, they love you. They're not even here because they're dealing with things with their family, and he's travel, they're traveling all over the world and, and missions, trips, and everything, but they love you. They carry the weight of the love and the shepherding for you. That's the five-fold ministry in operation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to read, I feel led of the Lord to do this in closing. So while you're turning then let me say a couple of things and then we'll read. There's a different heart in each of these gifts. And what you and I have to understand is that each heart is different. It processes information differently. It assimilates information differently, and it also responds to information differently. That's where the understanding comes into play. We all have to understand one another. There's going to be certain things that I understand, and I respond to information differently than Morris does. I can't get mad at Morris because he didn't respond the way that I think he should have. And he can't get mad at me because I didn't respond the way I think. And, and the, the one, I'll be honest with you, the one that takes the blunt of the blow a, a lot of times with visionary stuff is the prophet and the apostle. Because they see things that people don't see. They don't know, you, don't, you don't understand it. I've seen where this church, where we as a church are going. As if it was right outside them doors. Now, Langston sees it as it right there in front of the chair. So there's a frustration. See, that's what I'm trying to say. There's a frustration that we, that we share, but there's a frustration that comes on a man that's in the prophet's office that we don't understand. Forgive us for not understanding that. Forgive me for not understanding where you're coming, how you can't you can't see it? How do you not see? We got people that, I mean, you know, people are dying. They need us, they need you. And I have to understand that you may not see it that way, and I have to have compassion. See, Jesus ain't in a hurry. The Holy Spirit is not like, oh Lord Jesus, we got to hurry up. The Holy Spirit, they know exactly what they're doing. And I'm telling you, the longer I do this, the more I'm trying, I'm really entering into a stage, and endeavor to stay there of rest. God's got this. Who did he say would build the church? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Did I say 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians. I'm just testing you. So I'm just testing you. Make sure. All right. I'm going to start in chapter 11. Because I want you to see the shepherd. uh, I want you to see the apostolic heart. And this is the best way. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to read glimpses of it. And guess what? I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. I hope you will put up with me a little more of my foolishness. Bear with me, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God Himself. I promised you a pure, as pure a bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believe. See, Paul, the, 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 the daddy of apostles next to Jesus, he was the one. He had such a love for the church. He had such a love for the people. It went beyond pastoral because he, had, he was building something. And he said, I'm building something in this church and I see you following this foolishness. But I don't consider myself inferior in any way to these super apostles who teach such things. I must, I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. We have made this clear to you in every possible way. Was I wrong when I humbled myself and honored you by preaching God's good news to you without expecting anything in return? I robbed other churches by accepting their contributions so I could serve you at no cost. And when I was with you and you didn't even have enough to live on, I did not become a financial burden to anyone. For the, burden, for the, for the brothers who came from Macedonia brought me all that I needed. I have never burdened you and never will I. Verse 12, he says, but I will continue doing what I've always done. He said in verse 11, why? Because I don't love you, God knows that I do. He said, you questioning how much I love you? Are you crazy? God knows I love you, but he says, but I will continue doing what I've always done. This will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. Paul, there's perseverance in the apostolic. There's perseverance in the fivefold ministry where they stick to it and they say it doesn't matter because there are many people. Paul said, I have many teachers, but I don't have many fathers. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. Again, I say, don't think that I'm a fool and talk like these. But even if I do, listen to me as you would a foolish person. He says, listen to me. They're foolish. You're going to listen to them? Well, just act like I'm foolish because you're fixing to listen to me. And this is what he said. After all, you think you are so wise, but you enjoy putting up with fools, you put up with me a little longer. Then he says, "Whatever, but whatever they dare to boast, I'm talking like a fool again, I dare to boast about it too. Here he goes, you ready? Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, put in more prison hours, but being whipped... Many times without number and faced death again and again. Five times with Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys, faced many dangers in rivers and and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty. And he said, if I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that that show how weak I am. God the Father, our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I am not lying. And this is verse 12. So having said all that, he's defending himself. This is what he says. He goes on to talk about the thorn in the flesh. Now, I'm not going to get into that. But the thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet Paul. It was not God trying to keep Paul humble. The man just got done telling you how humble he was. Why would he need reinforcement? He's there. But he sees the power that his message is having on the people. And what does Satan do? He sends a messenger of Satan to buffet him, lest he be puffed up, is what they say lest he be exalted above measure. Do you know what the gospel, do you know what the good news will do for you and me? Do you know what the apostolic, pastoral, evangelistic teaching and prophetic ministry will do to the body of Christ? It will cause us to be exalted above the measure of Satan and his cohorts. That's what it will do. And that message is about dominion. And Satan don't want you to have dominion. And so he sent a messenger, messenger of Satan to buffet Paul. And Paul's people saying, Well, Paul saying, but I asked the Lord three times to take it from me, and he wouldn't. That's not what it says. I was 15. I was 16 years old. I remember that. I remember being in the youth group. I remember hearing that. And I remember, have heard that all my life. I asked the Lord to take it three times, and he said No. He said, he said that my grace is sufficient. No. Paul said, the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Now smack them down and keep doing what I've called you to do. So what's he saying? He said, But when I was with you, I certainly gave you proof that I am an apostle. You ready? Here's the proof of the apostolic. For I patiently did many signs and wonders and miracles among you. Patience is probably the greatest sign that someone's flowing in, a, in an apostolic gift. What is patience? Just staying with it. You stay with it. You stick with it. The church as a whole has an apostolic anointing on it. To stick with it. The apostolic anointing will take churches and take the kingdom of God and expand it across the world like never before because of the gifts that Jesus gave the church. I want you to stand with me. And I want you to understand some things as we stand together. No gift is self-appointed. First of all, they are gifted by God for that ministry. And secondly, the gift and its fruits are recognized by peers and they are set in or commissioned to that office by other respected and qualified leaders. I don't have a business card in the back of my pocket. I have a business card in the back of my pocket that says I'm the pastor of New Covenant Church because I am the pastor of New Covenant Church. I was set in, I was prayed over, and I used that card as a way to reach people or give them some information. But I don't, I I do that to people. I don't go to ministry conferences and put my pastoral badge or my apostolic badge on or whatever. No, these elders, they are elders. They don't have a card in the back of their wallet that says I'm an elder of New Covenant Church. I have to be careful because in the past I would introduce them as, hey, this is Langston. He's an elder at our church. No, this is Langston and Inez. They are brothers and sisters. They are my friends. This is Bill Sweeney. He's like a father. He's Papa Bill to us. He he is an elder, but that's not his. That's what his giftedness is because of the anointing that's on him. This is Casey. He is my brother. Michelle, his wife. They are friends. This is Morris and Michelle. (laughs) Michelle. Sarah. I'm changing your name. Twinsies. They are friends. Guess what? This is my wife. She is not your wife. She is not the church's wife. She is my wife. She is the pastor's wife. We have a piano player. We have a church secretary. We have a women's ministry leader. No, she flows in her giftedness. She is my wife. But that is not that is what we flow in. That is who, but that is not who. What defines us? What defines us is what God, what we are as a church. Listen to me. Stop trying. To do church. Stop trying to act church. Guess what, guys? We are the church. The secret is not in doing. The secret is in being the church. And the thing that you will have to overcome, and that really, honestly and truthfully, I believe by the Spirit of God, we've already overcome it, is we're not trying to do church. For the first time in a long time, we are just simply being the church. I hear testimonies weekly of people meeting other people's needs. I hear testimonies of people praying for people. I hear testimonies of people being relational with people individually outside the confines of this church. I hear people breaking bread together. I hear relationships being knit together. Glory to God, that's what we're building. That's what the Lord has called us to do. He said, I will build my church the people not the building this building is nothing without the people trust me the banks will tell you that it's nothing let me let me let me give you another testimony God loves us and loves you so much that in the almost six years that I've been here There's only really been one time where financially we reached that point where, you know, we started to sweat. You know what I'm saying? Every other time, God has always come through. It might have been at 11.59, but He has come through. It has never been that. God has been faithful. And He has been building His team. He has been building His people and building a foundation. Because people need what you and what we have got. Hallelujah. Close your eyes and let's just go to the Lord for a few moments. This will be the last time I preach for this year. I got Langston. Is going to be bringing the Word next week. So you might need to bring your sunglasses because He's probably going to be way out there in the future. And I've told Him, turn Him loose. Have at it. Because we see the same things. He sees it clearly. You need to hear. And this year you're going to hear from many different aspects of the five-fold ministry this next year. We're... I'm praying and planning, but I'm preparing and doing things for this year where I'm going to be bringing even greater gifts into this body to begin to impart things into us like never before because we're, we're going somewhere. We're not waiting on God. We're not waiting on a word. We're going somewhere. I want you to embrace the fivefold ministry because they are anointed that fivefold ministry is anointed to break the bondages, to break the yokes, to set the people free. That's what it is. The fivefold ministry is set in place to equip us, to equip you. I say that as your pastor, and I say that from an apostolic standpoint. He's desiring to equip us, to take us to the next level. But that level requires you. Every person in this body. I don't care whether you're a visitor or whether you've been coming here for 20 years. Your gift, your supply is needed. I'm telling you, I can't do it. We can't do it without you. Hallelujah. I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to listen to my voice. I don't want you to move it around. I'm going to ask you not to leave. I'm going to ask you to just wait. Because I believe, I saw, I know that the Lord's wanting to do some things. And I believe that He's working in our hearts. And I'm telling you. That traditional religiousness will try to take this away from you. Traditionalism will try to steal the Word of God out of your heart. And He will tell you that all you need to do is just come to church. No, you don't need to come to church. You need to be the church. Your gift. Your supply, your giftedness, the character, the personality that God has created you. If there's any people, if there's any leadership that understand the dynamics and the quirkiness and the the off-balanceness sometimes that different personalities have, we have that understanding. And if there's any place where you've wanted to get engaged, if there's any place where you've wanted to get involved, now's the time. Today is the day. I mean, I declare it by the Spirit of the Lord. I'm saying, lock the doors and shut them. Ain't nobody leaving here today till you say, Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm reckoning with you. I'm dealing with you today, Lord. <coughs> what is it that God's moving in you? What is it that the Spirit of God is stirring up in you? We want to release that. We want to release that for 2016. 2016. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask the elders to come up and their wives to come up. Come on up. Come on up, Abram. Hallelujah. I know that we got to go, but really we don't have to go. There's something that the Lord wants to break free in your life. There's something that the Lord wants to release in your life today. There's something that the Lord the Lord is dealing with you. He's dealing with us. He wants to unlock. There's a present that He wants to give you. And He wants to unlock that key in your heart. And He wants to give you that present today. Whether you're here, or whether you're you're a first-time visitor, or whether you're not, whether you are a part of the church, or whether you're not, I'm just saying I release you right now with every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm releasing you now to find out what that is and allow the Lord to unlock that in you. Maybe you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Maybe you want to make that decision today. I'm going to invite you to come down. Maybe you've, you want to rededicate your life. You want to say, you know what, Lord? I want to turn my life back over to you. I want you to turn that life. I want him to be Lord of my life once and for all. I want to open that door for you. If you need prayer, I don't care if it's sickness, disease, financially, whatever you need, I want to open that up to you. I want these ministers, these shepherds, the elders of this church want to pray for you. Who wants to come? Who wants to be prayed for? Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory, 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 glory. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. your and just minister to the Lord. Come on, guys, just lift your hands. Just worship the Lord for a moment. center of it. Oh, oh from my heart to the heavens. And Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Oh, in the name of Jesus, we declare peace. the heart to the heavens. Power. Jesus be Purpose the over center. Every person it's all about you. Releasing it's the gift, releasing all the call, you. releasing the bondage, oh breaking, heart, breaking the bondages, breaking the yoke. Jesus, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all Hallelujah. About you. Thank you, Lord. While these are being ministered to, I just want you to lift your hands one more time as we dismiss. I just want to pray over you and bless you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for these that come and have come and those that may not have come. Father, I just declare over everyone the Prince of Peace in this season as we come to Christmas Day. Lord, I pray for gifts. I pray for revelation. I pray for insight. I pray for the gifts being unwrapped in the natural, that they'll be unwrapped in the spiritual. That folks will begin to see and understand that they've been freed and allowed to do what you've called them to do. I declare that in the name of Jesus. <coughs> I declare you blessed. I declare you highly favored. And I speak peace. And protection over you as a body in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. you lord well go and be blessed have a wonderful merry christmas you are loved you are cherished and you are appreciated and we'll see you next sunday